Let's turn in uh, Matthew's Gospel to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew's Gospel chapter 10, and we'll be reading verses 34 to 42. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 34 to 42. Let's pray to the Lord. Our Father, thank You for revealing Your truth to us, the hard sayings, the hard things to hear. We pray that You would be glorified, that You have so desired by Your grace to share these things with us, that we might not be uninformed or in the dark, but that all would be made to light, brought to light, that we would know what is before us as Your people. And Father, what is before us is not easy, but is difficult, trying, and needs Your strength to press on and to endure, and all for the sake of the Gospel and the name of of Christ your Son. And so grant us a greater zeal for the Gospel. Grant us to make, uh, to be in our lives by your grace, found worthy of Jesus Christ your Son. And so let us count the cost. And we would not count the cost and see it as too much, are too great, and thereby give up our souls unto death forever. But that we would see that in the momentary, the few days we have left on this earth, that You would grant us a focus and a hope on the life to come that would encourage us to take up our cross here And if need be, suffer and be afflicted here for your sake with the great promise that our bodies will be raised up with new glorified bodies and will be glorified with Christ in His presence and your presence forever and ever. And so grant us that by your grace. We are weak, but we're thankful that you are strong. And now we do pray that you would be with your servant, that you would strengthen him. Give him the focus, uh, the tongue of a ready writer, as we'll sing this evening. And uh, Father, uh, humble us, your people, that we would receive your word with faith and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 34. These are God's words. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me 
is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. For he he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Those are God's words. The force is uh, the passage in which Jesus Christ, the King and Head of the Church, ends His first charge to the apostles and is sending them out to preach the gospel in the world and particularly, of course, to the people of Israel, the Jews. And as He sends them out to make the gospel known, He declares three final truths to them. And just as we pray, we are thankful that God, uh, through His Son Jesus Christ, reveals to us the truth. He doesn't hide it from us. He doesn't hide the important things that we need to know. And the apostles at that time needed to know for their preparedness and their comfort and their encouragement and strength. And so we're thankful that He reveals these things to us. The first truth this morning, the Gospel will not cause peace. The Gospel will not cause peace. Verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am not to send, I came not to send peace, but a sword. That is, that the Lord Jesus came not through uh, the preaching of the Gospel that the apostles were going to take forth and preach by that Gospel. He did not come to bring peace for a mere time or temporal peace. He didn't come to bring outward prosperity with the Gospel, despite what you know health and wealth preachers preach falsely. And the Jews thought Jesus was coming, or the Messiah, was coming to set up a particular type of kingdom in which all His followers would grow in wealth and power in the world and they'd be safe and have peace. But Jesus did not come to give them peace on earth where all would be of the same mind in unity. He promised that clearly in this chapter to the apostles that there would be not peace on earth by the gospel proclaimed, but rather, what has he said? There'd be hostility. The gospel preached would lead to strifes and divisions. And you should therefore, friends, not be surprised today. You have no right to be surprised if we see this continually fulfilled, what we see in chapter 10. You must resolve that your life, if you're a faithful Christian, your life will be filled with trouble. Even from the nearest friends or who used to be your friends. You must not look for worldly peace if you follow Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because there will be no worldly peace. 
And so Jesus is revealing the Jewish mistake concerning the design of the coming Messiah and the and uh, therefore also the design of the gospel. Even the Christian today often is mistaken that the design of the gospel is to secure all Christians from secure from the evil of this world. That there will be peace on earth. No, rather, the gospel certainly exposes the Christian to trouble in the world. Christ came to give peace with God, most assuredly. Praise the Lord. Peace of conscience, yes. Peace with the brethren. Yes, other Christians, absolutely. But what does He promise the Christian? John 16 says, His disciples said unto Him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone and Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So he does give us an encouragement as he teaches us these things here this morning. That there in the world, with the world, we will have tribulation. But he's overcome the world. And if you are in Christ and you've come by faith to Jesus Christ, then in Him you do have peace with Him and with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit as well. So don't look for peace in the world if you follow Jesus. Now if the world would receive Christ, there would then follow a universal peace. But while there are and will be so many that reject Him and those being the children of the world, the seed of the serpent, those then who are called out of this world, who are children of God, adopted into His family, must then expect to feel the fruits of those of the world, their hostility. That's what we've learned already. Jesus says, I came not to send peace, but a sword. He came to give the sword of the Word, the Gospel, with which the disciples fight. And we fight against the world and storm. Matthew 16, we storm the gates of Hades. That's what we're doing with the Gospel. And this sword of the Gospel, what does it do? It conquers. It is a sword that the world fights against. And so fights against the disciples of Christ, true Christians. They fight with their own sword, the sword of persecution and affliction. Revelation 6, it says, And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Revelation 19, it says, And the remnant were slain with the sword of Him. Remember, the remnant are God's people. The remnant were slain with the sword of Him that sat upon the horse which sword proceedeth out of His mouth. 
And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Why do they do this, those of the world? Why do they do this? Because they are cut to the heart with the sword, which is the word, the gospel. Acts 7, when they heard these things, that is the gospel, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. That was their response. They had the word of God, the gospel, cut them to the heart, and then they responded with hostility. Gritting their teeth, gnashing their teeth at him. The world persecutes because Revelation 11, they are tormented by the testimony of Christ, Christ's witness. It says, Revelation 11, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. The two prophets being those who were preaching the gospel, and those preaching the gospel tormented those on the earth. They were just preaching the gospel though. That's not really a tormenting, but it is to the unbeliever. It is a tormenting. As Jesus teaches us there. So that which they are tormented by and cut to the heart with, that same gospel that Jesus Christ sends these apostles out with to teach and preach, the same gospel all of us are called to testify in the world and make known all the works of God. Christ sends us out to do that preaching and testifying, which is doing what? You're taking up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It gives the occasion for the drawing. It is that which gives. As we go out with the Gospel and we teach and we testify, we bear witness and ministers preach, it is that that gives the occasion for the drawing forth of the persecuting sword against us and upon us. So Jesus came not to send peace, but a sword. So what Jesus is doing, He has been doing, He's ordering His church into a suffering state for the trial and praise of His people's graces, one theologian says, and the filling up of the measures of their enemies' sin. So Jesus is saying what, what He's said a few times now. He's saying here, again, in the background, He's saying, fear not. Fear not. Are you ready to promise to yourself worldly ease and wealth and honor and friendship by professing the Gospel? Some people who believe that in the church. But you have no warrant to do that from the Scriptures. So Jesus comes now and He seeks to purge you of such lies that you may have believed. And look again, verse 34. Think not that I come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. We ought to be very thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ that He came, uh, he, he, he came to bring a heavenly peace between God and man. Praise God again. You've been justified. You have peace with God. You've been reconciled to Him. 
If you have faith in Jesus, therefore, you have peace with Him. But He has not come to bring earthly peace between the godly and that of the world, or the godly and the wicked. He has not come to bring peace between them. The Gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, that He died for the sins of His people and grant those same people who believe on Him and turn from their sins to Him, He grants them who do that life forever. And this Gospel is not the cause, but it is the instrument of persecution and contention and war. To be more specific, the cause of persecution and affliction at the hands of those hardened in their heart is the wickedness of men and the malice of Satan who are cut to the heart and troubled in conscience at the hearing of the gospel. And yet it's the Lord who is appointed the troubles to us. He's appointed the afflictions upon us. He's appointed the suffering and the persecutions upon us. And in that we should be thankful for our sake. It's for our good. Romans 8.28, He's for our good. Even in the same chapter where He says, if you are heirs, you'll be persecuted. And He says, I'll work all things together for your good, though. If you love me and are called according to my purpose. He's appointed the troubles and affliction. Verse 35 says, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And so, look not for peace, but division. Jesus says, I am come to set a man at variance. The effect of preaching and testifying the gospel is not the fault of the gospel. It's the fault of those who do not receive the gospel. Who harden their hearts. When some believe the things that are spoken, the gospel, and others believe them not, the faith of those that believe condemns those that believe not. And therefore, they have enmity against them that believe. There's enmity between the two. And so when the gospel tears apart families, when the gospel causes estrangement between the nearest relations, do not think it strange, Jesus is saying. Yes, you ought to be hurt and grieved. And yet here He says, do not be surprised when this happens. It is sure to do so in many cases, even in your own family, in your own households, because of the deep corruption of man's heart in their love of sin. So long as one man believes and another is hardened in their heart and believes not, so long as one is resolved to keep his sins and another desires to be rid of them all, the result the preaching of the gospel and the testifying of the gospel most certainly is and will be division. But the gospel is not to blame. It's the heart of man that is to blame. Consider this truth that is often forgotten and overlooked. There are many that speak vaguely in the church about the desire, not only the desire, but 
the unity and the harmony and the peace in the church of Jesus Christ. As if there were things that we ought always to expect in the church. And for the sake of that peace, everything ought therefore to be sacrificed. Everything ought to be sacrificed. As we see sometimes we hear that in the church. But such persons would do well to remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unity and peace are wonderful blessings. That's true. We ought to seek them in the church. We ought to pray for them. We ought to give up everything in order to obtain them except the truth and a good conscience. It's the same as our relations with the world, except it's exponentially worse. For Christ says, believing the gospel, living the gospel, and proclaiming the gospel will bring division between you and your family. There's a reason in, in my extended family that we are told, or when I was growing up, we were told, not to speak of religion. Even though... Purportedly, we, we were all Christians. Purportedly, we weren't. Purportedly, we were. Or we would say we were. The most violent and ruthless fights we know have been those that have arisen about differences of religion. Right? And so to keep peace, what did, uh, what did my family say? They said, don't speak the truth. Or don't talk about your religion. Well, that will that'll keep peace. Outwardly, it'll keep peace. Christ calls us to speak the truth. Each to our neighbor, how much more our family. And when you speak it there, there will be division. Caused by the hardened heart of the sinner who is outside of Christ. Look back at verse 21. And it says, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So it is in verses 35 and 36. Our enemies, Christians, will at times even be those of our own households, he says. Those who were once your friends, Christians, will be moved to be against you for embracing Jesus Christ by faith and not just living in your own bubble, but telling people and telling those friends about Jesus. And they will especially hate you when you still continue in it while being persecuted and may very well join the persecutors against you. And so it is with friends and family. Jesus said of His very friend, Psalm 55, For it was not an enemy that reproached me that I could have borne it, neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me that I would have hid myself from him. But it was Thou, a man, mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. In Psalm 41, He says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. He was speaking 
The psalm there is speaking of Judas, prophesying about Judas and Christ's thoughts of him. The gospel will not cause peace. Christ came to send a sword, and the mighty sword of the gospel that cuts hearts unto salvation and as well unto a great hardening, leading to judgment. Secondly, that's the the second truth that He leaves them with before He sends them out. The Christian's great love, or the, the Christian's greatest love. The Christian's greatest love. Verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than Me is not worthy of Me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than Me is not worthy of Me. Whosoever. That's the language there. We've heard it in verses 32 and 33. We heard that last Lord's Day. We've heard it. We know the most popular verse, John 3.16. Whosoever believes. right? Whosoever shall choose to please family, friends, alliances, rather, and above Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I will not confess them before my Father. They're not worthy of me. What Jesus is saying is, if you aren't all in with Him, you're out. And so if you're going to stand with the Gospel, taking the, that truth and, with, and, then, and believing that truth, taking that truth, and then withholding it from your family and your friends, your neighbors, so that they can't rebel and attack you. Or um, Put it this way, if you choose to please your family and your friends, etc., and so you don't testify the Gospel before them, but rather choose to, what you're actually doing, though you don't maybe not think this, you're choosing to offend Jesus because you think the Gospel is of lesser importance than my family and my friends and my neighbors. And so you're trying to please your family and your friends, and so you don't testify the Gospel. You choose, therefore, to offend Jesus Christ rather than your family and your friends. If that's you, Jesus is saying here, then you are not worthy of Me. You are unworthy of the name of Christ and of the name of a Christian. Now, you may be a Christian. And there are times like Peter, he denied Christ, right? But that's what you're doing in those moments where you will... Of course, you will repent if you're a Christian. But... In those moments where you deny Christ, where in those moments where you have the Gospel, believe the Gospel, and it is under your salvation, and yet you just don't want to cause a problem with your family or friends, or you don't want to cause a big kerfuffle. Right? You don't want to cause a big uproar and, and a div- division between you and your family or between you and your neighbor for whatever uh, whatever the relationship. What you're doing, if you're a Christian and you do that, 
What you're doing then is you're blaspheming Jesus Christ. You're taking the Gospel and you're saying, again, my family, my friends, my neighbors are more important than Jesus Christ. And what He has sent me here to do. To be a witness on the earth. A light in a dark place. You're not to hide it under a basket, right? You're to reveal the light. He's saying if you do that, what you're doing is you're acting as one who is unworthy of me. But I don't want to lessen what Jesus is saying. If you continue in that, and you don't repent, Jesus is saying, you're not worthy of me. You're not a real believer. Now, love for Christ does not hinder love for family and love for friends, love and uh, charity towards your neighbor and unbelievers. But love for Christ guides our love for family and friends and our neighbors. It keeps it in its right place. For Christ only says, He that loved them more than me is not worthy of me. Right, verse 24, the disciple is not above his master. There's certainly a cost to following Christ. Jesus revealed that in this chapter already. And so what's your cost, Christian? If you're not a Christian, the cost of turning to Christ by faith is free. The Lord Jesus offers you eternal life for free by His grace, by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. It's by free grace. And you must come to Christ, turning from your sins, hating those sins, loving Christ. But now we have to ask the one who believes, the one who does repent, the one who is a Christian, how much is it worth to follow Christ? How much is Christ worth? How much is too much in following Christ? There's a a general saying, if religion is worth anything, it's worth everything. And the true religion is certainly worth everything. Therefore, all who believe the truth of Christianity, which is the only true religion given to us in the Gospel, will come soon in their lives, in your life, you will come soon to what it costs. It truly costs. To follow Christ. Because those who believe the truth of Christianity, the Scriptures, who seek true happiness, blessedness in Christ alone, will make everything else yield to this truth of the Gospel. To this true religion. That is, more importantly, everything else comes to nothing in comparison to Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And Jesus is here then saying, if you don't find me worthy of everything, then your faith is fake. You're not worthy of me. If that's you, you're determined to leave Christ. You are determined to leave Christ at your own peril for all eternity. He says, you're not worthy of me. But Christian, it's very encouraging to think that whatever we leave for Christ, all those things... 
uh, that we find important in life. And he talks about some of the most important things right here. Family. It's very encouraging to think that whatever we leave for Christ, whatever we lose for Christ, wherever it's necessary to lose it for Christ, whatever we suffer for Christ, that it's all worth it for Christ. He is worthy of all of our lives. Even unto death of body it needs to be. Why? Because He is the most precious thing. That's the Song of Solomon, right? It's the bride longing for her Savior. Always wanting to please Him. And everything else comes to nothing. When, was, when the bride was in sin, what was she doing? Well, I have my robe on. I don't want to get my feet dirty. I'm already in bed. But she repents of that. And she runs to the door. To Christ. Because Christ is worth everything. And so even if it is unto death, that we have to go and testify in the gospel, not standing down when we're questioned if you believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You're asked, will you give Him up? And if that leads to death for you to say, no, I will never give Him up. He's worth it. So whatever we part with for this as the Scripture says, the pearl of great price. Whatever we part with for that, we may comfort ourselves with the persuasion that it's well worth it to give more. The terms are that we must prefer Christ to all else. What if following Christ means trouble for you? Verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Notice you're not just, verse 39 there, you're not just taking your life to be with him. You're not committing suicide. You're not being stupid and risking your life uh, in a foolish way. He said, he that loseth his life for my sake will find it. Now today, whether you're a preacher or a hearer, a teacher or the one taught, it makes little difference. We all must carry a cross. If you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, all who are such followers of Christ by faith carry a cross. Jesus is saying, if you're not content to submit yourself to whatever trouble can be imagined that may come upon you because of following Jesus Himself and His cause. If you're not content to submit yourself to whatever trouble may arise in following Christ, then He's saying you're unworthy of the name of Christian. Now we've talked about when we've considered, well, I don't know if in those moments I'll be strong enough. Well, if you're a Christian, you will be because God will give you the strength in the moment. He'll give you the words to speak in the moment. 
So we're not talking about how weak you might think you are right now as a Christian. We're speaking here of your resolution if you're content to submit to Christ in everything. You might have trouble with what that might look like, struggle with what it might feel like, don't know if you can endure it, but are you resolved to it if it comes? Consider the suffering and the pain and the shame that Christ endured, most especially leading up to and at the cross for our sakes. If you're a Christian, you believe the Gospel, you love Christ Jesus, then Jesus is saying to you, you too must endure a Christian. Resolve to endure. Before we seek after ease and safety, which is our usually the first thing we do, we must take up our cross and follow Him. Otherwise... Jesus is saying, you're not worthy of Me. The first part here says, take up your cross. You have to take it up. In taking up the cross, that means you must follow Christ's example. Which means you must follow your Master, your Teacher. He's your Rabbi. You follow Him. You're the disciple. You follow Him. And so that when in accordance of our living, righteous lives, serving Christ living for Him, honoring Him, worshiping Him, bearing testimony of the Gospel, and there comes affliction because of all those things, and you're following Christ. There comes persecution and suffering and bodily harm, harassment, abuse, even if it lead to death. Jesus says, take up that cross for My sake and follow Me. Follow my example. Bear it, the cross, just as He did in His strength, because we're weak. And it's, a, friends, a great encouragement to us who follow Christ that when we meet with those crosses and in those times of suffering and affliction, abuse, harassment, etc., that in bearing them, we follow Christ. And as He has showed us the way that if we follow Him faithfully, even in those sufferings that may even lead to death of our bodies and God's tender care and providence, He promises here that He will lead us through the sufferings all the way to glory with Him. He promises us that. Because that's where He is. If we're following Him and His... And these crosses, then, will be following Him right to glory. And isn't that where we ultimately want to be? It is. And for those who follow Him in this way are worthy of Him. And He'll confess you before the Father who is in heaven. A Christian must be content... Not to seek after to lose your life. We're not seeking that. But we must be content to lose even life itself for Christ's sake. If it comes to that. A Christian's life is difficult. Though not if we follow Christ. 
We must submit to the loss of man's honor because we have the honor of Christ. We must endure hardships, denying ourselves of many things and following Christ, or we shall never reach glory. Well, so long as the world, the devil, and our own hearts are what they are, these things must be so. Because chapter 10 is a wake-up call, Christian. As it is a charge and a call to the apostles to go out and preach the gospel, it is also a wake-up call to all of us today. To rein in your exaggerated expectations of following Christ, the lies that you have believed, perhaps, of what it means to follow Christ, as people often look for worldly comfort in Christ's service, which they and, and you have no right to expect. Christ didn't have that. And you're following Christ. And then in seeking that, you often don't find what you're looking for. When you're looking for what your, your exaggerated expectations of worldly ease and, and, and whatnot, you don't often find it. And so then you become anxious and downcast or depressed and filled with fear of man. Impatience. You're tempted to give up in your hardening of your heart. You're tempted to give up the truth of the gospel altogether. And do that even in disgust. And anger. But blessed is the one who thoroughly understands that though Christ holds out a crown in the end, it also brings a cross now. Maybe you think you found life and prosperity when you were saved by turning to faith in Christ, and as you thought that and kept that thought, you end up you ended up denying Christ. And those who deny Christ embracing prosperity and ease in this life not truly following Christ, will lose their life unto death eternal. But the one who loses their life for Christ's sake, following Him, to live, as to part with the ease now, if necessary, that you live in such a way that you'd rather do anything than deny Christ, then you will find life in Him. Unto an unspeakable Blessing of eternal life forever and ever in heaven. Just as we prayed, and what Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the heart of the true follower of Jesus Christ who is worthy of Him. The Christian's greatest love. Your greatest love is not anything in this world, but it is Christ alone. It has to be. It's not your life, it's not ease in the world, but Christ alone. And if it be that Christ is your greatest love, then this life will bring trouble as you serve Him here, as you, you will bear your crosses. But though suffering and death may come to your body, most of us probably will not die in our body because of Christ, being afflicted because of Him, or suffering or persecuted. But even if it does come, death and following Christ, you will be delivered forever 
and to the caring arms of your Savior forever, who you love to the utmost and greater than all others. So Christ tells His disciples what they should suffer. And these were hard sayings. If they could bear these, they could bear anything in this world. Thankfully, Christ has dealt fairly and faithfully as well with us and telling us the worst we can meet with in His service. And He would have us deal so with ourselves in sitting down and counting the cost. The final truth, the third truth, final truth, and the great reward of receiving the gospel. The great reward of receiving the gospel, verse 40, it says, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple. Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. The one who gives a believer, verse 42, the one who gives a believer even so little as a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, that is, a disciple of Christ, shall in no wise lose his reward. In other words, he'll gain a reward. The Lord will bless that one who does that. There's something beautiful in this promise because it teaches us that the eyes of our great Master are not only, as we've learned, on the sparrows, and especially on us, but that His eyes are ever upon those who labor for Him and seek to follow Him in good works by His grace. The servants of Christ often work for Christ, serving Him unnoticed and disregarded. The proceedings of preachers and missionaries, teachers and visitors of the poor and needy, these may seem uh, sometimes rather insignificant compared to the movements of presidents and kings and congressmen and armies. But the Lord again teaches us here, they're not insignificant in His eyes. Moreover, our God takes notice of those who oppose His servants and who helps them. He not only takes uh, thought of and looks upon those who oppose His servants, but He also looks upon those who helps His servants and serves His servants. He observes those who are kind to His followers. Just as Lydia, who helped Paul. Acts 16, And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And He, the Lord, knows who brings those who bring difficulties to His servants, like Diotrephes did in the way of John. In 3 John, it says, I wrote unto the church, by, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. This teaches us that the Lord looks upon those who serve Christ and serve the servants of Christ, and those who... He looks, upon, uh, he looks upon those who do not serve the servants of Christ, but rather um, go against them and do them great harm, even like, uh, I believe we'll read this evening, Alexander, 
the coppersmith. Maybe I'm mistaken in that, but I think that's his name in 2 Timothy 4. The Christian's daily experience is recorded by the Lord in heaven. And those who come upon them serving or persecuting or hurting them or helping them, He records. He knows, friends, all of it. All of it will be brought to light at the last day. And the Lord will bless, as He promises here, those who serve Christ and those who serve the servants of Christ. And He'll seek vengeance on those who bring hurt to those who serve Christ. Remember the chief butler? He forgot Joseph. when He was restored to His place. But the Lord Jesus never forgets any of His people. He will say to many who least expect it, Matthew 25, it says, Then shall the King say unto them on His right hand, Come, ye blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave Me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave Me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took Me in naked, and ye clothed Me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee a drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered and a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And so for yourself, are you a helper and servant of Christ's kingdom or a hinderer to it? Do you listen and help and serve the Lord's prophets, His righteous men, or do you hinder them? Do we assist the little ones or do we hinder them? Do we hinder the Lord's laborers or cheer them on? Just a little helping of the servants of Christ, like giving a cold cup of water for their drinking. Just a little helping of the servants of Christ is seen and rewarded by the Lord. And so, in somewhat the same way as the argument from the lesser to the greater, if it's even just a small cup of water that the Lord sees and He honors... And put your heart to it to serve those who are His servants.
How truly we should listen and hear His promise. For Jesus says, Truly, verily, I say unto you, He shall in no wise lose His reward. Remember when the poor widow served Christ? He saw her, Luke 21. And He said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Friends, know the the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ that He accepts the kindness the Lord Jesus Christ accepts must be done with an eye to Christ. It must not just be, well, I'm being nice. Because then you're no different than many in the world. It must be done for His sake. So then it gives you uh, an idea of what you ought to do when you give that cold drink of water, or help the needy or the poor, or pray for the preacher or servants of Christ. It must be done for His sake. A prophet must be received in the name of a prophet. A righteous man received in the name of a righteous man. One of the little ones in the name of a disciple. It's not because they're intelligent, witty, nice. It's not because they have good relations with their neighbors, but because they're righteous and they bear the image of Christ. Because they're prophets, as preachers. Because they're disciples and so are sent on Christ's errand to serve Him. It's a believing Regard for Christ that puts an acceptable value on the kindness done to His servants. There must be an interest in Him. And even when you're helping the poor, when you have opportunity, then you bring the Gospel. And that is true service to Christ. There must be an interest in Him, in the Lord Jesus. And if there is, He promises that there is a reward for those who serve Christ's servants. Those who are not hardened to the truth of the Gospel, but receive it. Those softened to believe in faith the Gospel and serve Christ's servants are rewarded. And so, friends, consider your own heart today. True followers of Christ, Christians, follow Christ. And following Christ is very costly. It costs your bodily It costs you bodily in God's providence and care and plan. There's suffering and there's affliction. So what is the Christian to do but to resolve now to sacrifice as Christ did for all for His kingdom? And He promises if you sacrifice for His kingdom, He will find you worthy of His kingdom. Do not deny Him, friends. Love Him above all other loves. And He promises He sees you. And He'll reward you. And these truths are given to you today to encourage you. These three truths are given to you today uh, to encourage you in following Christ even to your last breath. Even to your last breath. But as these truths are immensely difficult and hard to hear, some of you may reject them and thereby reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But He calls you today to come unto Him from your sins. Even your rejections of Him. And have life free without cost.
He offers it freely to you. Come today and you'll be rewarded. Serve Him today by faith and you'll be rewarded. And that's His promise. But you must come and you must believe and resolve to love Christ above all other loves. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank You once again for Your Word. Father, help us to count the cost. Father, make us to be willing servants of You, even submitting to You in all things. As You are the King and Head of the Church. You are our Savior. We love You above all other things. But those, Father, things that we love of this world, Father, cause us to see that they do not... They they pale, they do pale in comparison to You and Your Son, Jesus. And cause us to love Him above everything else. And cause us to serve Him. And cause us to bear the sword, the Gospel, that we believe. And may You bear fruit and build Your house and Your kingdom and cause Your servants to be blessed and grant the great reward in the end. Help us to know experientially for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.